0: The way we spend our time defines who we are. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We
1: are back, and this is Ariva Martin in real time. I'm your host, Ariva Martin. We are tracking today's trending news and giving you expert analysis from my contributors today. I'm joined in this hour by Dr. Ralph Sunenshine. He is the executive director of the Pat Brown Institute for Public Affairs at California State University, Los Angeles. Good afternoon, and welcome, Rafe.
2: Thank you. Good to be here.
1: Absolutely, and also joining Rafe, which is the nickname that he likes to be called (laughs) by because it was given to him by his mother, and we want to respect that. (laughs) We love mothers around here. (laughs) Joining Rafe is Dr. Carlos Hill. He is a professor of African American Studies at Oklahoma University and a friend uh, to the show. Welcome back, Dr. Hill, or Carlos, I should say.
3: So, Carlos, uh, let's start with you.
1: Did you get a chance to make your list of the best and worst presidents for African-Americans? Since this is President's uh, Day weekend, a lot of folks got the day off, banks are closed, the post office (laughs) closed, people might be having barbecues. I'm not sure what you do on President's Day other than look for a sale, but (laughs) I doubt if people are thinking about their favorite presidents. But uh, tell us what you're thinking uh, in terms of best and worst presidents for black folks.
4: Oh, man, Ariva. let me tell you this. I have not thought about this question long enough to give you a really good answer. But what I will tell you from having studied black history is that the first 10 president or excuse me, the first 10 out of 12 presidents were slaveholders. So we got to take the slaveholders off the list right off the bat. <laughs> and the twelve and the two that didn't, we're gonna take them out anyway. Um I Yeah, would... I
1: struggle with Abe Lincoln for that reason. See, none of them are perfect, but I put Abe yeah. on my list because of the Emancipation Proclamation. But yeah. help us understand well, we gotta... Abe did well...
3: that, he was flawed.
4: <laughs> well, Ariba, we have to recognize the time, the circumstance and the context, but Abraham Lincoln, I would list him as the first, only because he did things that impacted Black people positively. Um, The um, 13th Amendment is because of Abraham Lincoln and his witness. Once he realized that this was a war to end slavery, he did set himself to end slavery, and so, for that, and which was a hard thing to do, which our economy, the american economy American economy is the largest economy in the world. It wasn't that in eighteen sixty, but it was a growing economy, the one of the biggest economies in the world because of slavery, and Lincoln's decision to end slavery had tremendous economic impacts, a lot of sacrifice um that you know people it's that it's uncommon today, and so I would have to put him because of what he did. Number one, number two would be Lyndon Baines Johnson and the and the civil rights acts that he initiated. Again, not perfect, but he did that. And between Lincoln and Johnson, there's not a lot of presidents who did stuff. They said stuff, they didn't do stuff. And I could talk about I could talk about FDR, but I would have to say he didn't do enough against lynching. And so I moved to then. Uh, to Lyndon Baines Johnson, who did do something. He was the master of the Senate. And I would just say, lastly, Barack Obama, because he did stuff. He won a historic election that no one saw coming um, and still is unprecedented. I don't think anybody could do what he did right now. Um, And then the change that happened in America because of him, I would say those are my three presidents that I would highlight today without having studied it
3: carefully.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm going to get your worst list in a minute, but I want Rafe to jump in. So, Rafe, uh, I know you are at a institute where you do nothing but study politics. So <laughs> give us your top two, three presidents who had an impact on the lives of African Americans.
2: Well, I don't want to look like I'm copying from Carlos. But that list was was very close to mine. Well,
1: he because, copied my list. So he's well, there you it. go. No.
2: But, you know, most presidents <laughs> didn't live in a time when presidents were fundamentally concerned with the aspirations of black Americans. I mean, there were until Abraham Lincoln when the entire country was at stake over that question. And I think, therefore, he stands out kind of on top of everybody, no matter what it took to get him to the point that he got to. Once he was there, as Carlos puts out, he planted his feet and put blood on the table uh, to win that, the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th Amendments, as important as they are. And then it's amazing how after Reconstruction, the the agenda of national politics moved away from this really until the 1960s, until Lyndon Johnson. And even in 57, with the Civil Rights Act, he put through a Senate Majority Leader, But then think about the Civil Rights Act of 64, the Voting Rights Act of 65, Mm. the appointment of Thurgood Marshall to the Supreme Court. And remember, the filibuster required 67 votes, then not 60. And then I would go not just to Barack Obama, but Barack Obama and Joe Biden together. Because that was an explicitly African-American supported campaign. And it was a miracle because Remember, African-American candidates weren't getting elected statewide, governor or senator. It looked like mayors and legislators were going to be the limit. And out of nowhere, this young guy shows up and takes the country by storm. And having studied this kind of politics my whole career, getting leadership by African-Americans elected by the voters is critically important to sort of changing the atmosphere of a community. He's a world historical figure. Uh, for that. And the Affordable Care Act really made a difference to communities of color. It's not widely advertised, but it really has made a difference. And Joe Biden explicitly tells everybody that he wasn't president, couldn't get the nomination, and couldn't be elected without the support of African Americans, especially African American women. And he's governed with that in mind. It's so
1: interesting that you say, so Rape, as I was doing my research on this topic, I I was looking at what some other experts said, and Carlos, it's interesting to me that Barack Obama still gets a lot of grief, and a lot of it comes from Black folks, because they, they reference the fact that he wasn't explicitly Black enough, I'll use that term, and you know what I'm talking about, and Rape just said something that was so profound and reminded us that it wasn't an easy pathway. It wasn't a given. And we have to think back to when Obama was becoming the superstar that he ultimately became and is. There's a lot of resistance in the black community that had already decided that it was Hillary Clinton's <clears throat> turn and that he should not run, that he was young, that he should wait his turn. So why do you think black folks, despite what Rafe has just described as how monumental his election was, given the wins that were against him, folks still give him grief for not, you know, stepping out on some of these issues that they thought he should have been more explicit about as they relate to African Americans.
4: This is the most complicated question.
3: <laughs> That's why I gave it to that <laughs> smart guy.
4: My dear sister, let me tell, and it's gonna take me and rape to figure this one out. <laughs> but it is true that. I can, I, I was just with iconic civil rights leaders in Oklahoma City for a Black History Month event. And the one thing that we talked about this weekend was, where were you when Barack Obama was elected and what happened? That's a moment that lives in history. People know where they were when they heard the news that Barack Obama had been elected, and Barack Obama had in a one fell swoop, had become President of the United States, and had somehow or another altered American history in fundamental ways in ways that we didn't think were possible, given our history and that happened and then his presidency happens all of the all of the hope of a black president was realized and all the hopes that we could do things that we thought were never possible and then we run into the machine of American politics, of American the American political system, Democrats, Republicans, fifty here, fifty, fifty over there, or forty nine here, fifty one over there, and they control the world, America. And Barack Obama runs up against that with the health care bill, but he has the numbers. He runs up against that, against every significant thing that he wants to pass, and the numbers change. And the expectations don't. The expectations stay the same. The realities don't stay the same. And Barack Obama is based, judged based on the realities, not the hope. Hope and change is what he was elected on. That's what we... We hope that if he was elected, things would change in the way that he promised. They did not. And we, and we hold him accountable for that. Mm. he He told us hope and change. Nobody else did, but he, he told us that he didn't have all the answers for the American political system that would, that would challenge that at every turn in every way. Once he did not have the majority, and that's that's polit- that's American politics. But that was certainly Barack Obama's experience, and so we don't often say that. But that is what happened. That we had this company, this country, made Barack Obama president in a way that it never would have for props another black person. All
1: right? Yeah, you're it right. Would not give we did, we all believed, because remember, we were talking about it was a post racial world after he got elected, because we believed him when he told us that he represented this significant change. And, and you're right, people uh, forget their fifth grade civics class and the lessons and, and what the power the president has and the power that he does not have. And he was held to a standard that was was unrealistic in light of, of what our political two tier political or two a party political system looks like. But I, I got to get to these worst guys. I don't want to leave them off.
3: <laughs>
1: the Obama question is indeed complex, but I think we all really <clears throat> agree that he's on our best list. Rafe, who's on your worst list?
2: Well, unfortunately, recent events have made that list very small to me, which is that Donald Trump is on the top of the mountain. And it's really, when I see rankings and he's in the bottom five, I have no idea how they're making that ranking. There is no comparison because many presidents did very little to be helpful in this, but very few of them built their presidency around racial resentment and resentment of other communities that had been empowered by Barack Obama. Don't forget, people reacted against Obama's election, not in the first few weeks, but it led to this massive counter reaction on the right that put Donald Trump in power and led to the insurrection uh four years later. So essentially, this is a guy who in all accounts has to stand in a category by himself. I don't want to waste time on Millard Fillmore when I have a chance to talk about Donald Trump, if you don't mind my saying. Oh no. <laughs>
1: all right, we gotta talk about Ronald Reagan though. You're right, Rafe. Uh Donald Trump gave birth to Uh, You know, to say the quiet part out loud, he made it in vogue, he made it okay to be a a flaming racist, whether you're a news host or, you know, a a parent at a school board meeting. He empowered the worst in Americans, but we got to talk about Ronald Reagan, too, Carlos, because Ronald Reagan did a lot of damage from the war on drugs to the decimating of the Mm. safety net and programs that were so important— you know that were a part of the Lyndon B. Johnson legacy that we saw wiped away under Ronald Reagan, and he did it with such, you know, he he was always looked so good, and he was so poised, and he just was, you know, that perfect kind of California actor, and the wife was so perfect. So they were that kind of the worst. You know, Donald oh, no. Trump is in your face. You know where he's coming from. The Reagans oh, no. were uh, treacherous,
4: but oh, like, with no. a
1: smile.
4: You're telling too much truth today. Why are you doing that on the show?
1: Yeah, talk to us about good old Ronnie.
4: <laughs> well, I'm not, I don't know enough, but I know enough. Um, I would say this, before we talk about Ronald Reagan and the worst, we got to talk about the Andrews. The Andrews. Andrew Jackson.
1: Yes.
4: Famous for killing Native Americans. Um, Indian killer, right? A president who's known for killing people. His, you know, that we gotta, he's gotta be the worst. And he was, you know, he's a slaveholder as well. Andrew Johnson for me, uh, one, uh, and excuse me, Andrew Jackson. I got the Andrews. Andrew Johnson during reconstruction, um, wanted to essentially black people to be free from slavery, but nothing else and black codes and, and everything that would have reinscribed slavery by another name. Slavery by another name, my dear brother Douglas Blackman. Um he wanted that. We, he's gotta be number one or number two, whichever. He it will suffice for me. And we could talk about Reagan. <laughs> we could talk about Reagan now, uh Riva. And um. Ronald Reagan um, and the consolidation of the right, the new rights, the old rights, that the right that we have today um, is Ronald Reagan um, that Trump inherited and is trying to build, um, rebuild uh, his, his image. But the building blocks of conservative policy, the ways in which conservatism is viewed today, um, neoliberalism, um and the and the and the ways in its it has hurt um my dear people in Africa and in and, and third world countries or not I shouldn't even use the language of colonialism, but countries who have been impoverished by capitalism around the world. These places, Ronald Reagan's name is an anthem. And you cannot speak it without talking about Cold War politics, war on drugs, and the ways in which that depleted communities around the world. Um, and so you're absolutely right. Uh, Ronald Reagan deserves to be on that list.
1: Yeah, uh, Ray, we've got a couple of minutes left in this segment. Bush Sr. Talk to us about Bush Senior.
2: Oh, it's hard to know. I mean, it wasn't that consequential a presidency in many ways. His domestic agenda was largely abandoned. He really didn't have a domestic agenda. He was more interested in foreign policy, which was, um, you know, not he wasn't very memorable. He tried to move away a bit from Ronald Reagan by saying we should be a kinder, gentler country and in a mild way. He was a little bit less Reagan than Reagan. I think his son never thought that was a good idea. He thought that was a mistake that his father had made and that that's what cost him his reelection. And he was going to make sure that he stayed closer to the right. But in some ways, the Bushes, I, I don't know, they don't stand out as damaging as some of the others. Reagan changed the whole conversation in the country about the New Deal. He basically discredited the New Deal, which was unfortunately a monumental political achievement. The Democrats had been living off that for decades, and he just knocked it over. And it's funny that now we're seeing a time when the Democrats actually have a working majority in the electorate. But as Carlos points out, they don't always have a working majority in Washington, Right. I loved what you said by the way about the contrast between expectation and realities, Carlos. I think that's just very thoughtful. And you look at Biden, it's almost the reverse. Nobody expected anything from him. And he's <laughs> absolutely a genius at realities.
1: Who knew right. Hold that thought, Ray. We're gonna talk when we come <laughs> forward about Republicans who are, are blatant liars and not just George <laughs> Santos. And we're also gonna ask the question, is DeSantis perhaps more toxic and more dangerous than a Ronald Reagan and a Donald Trump, if you can imagine someone being more toxic. When we come forward after some news, sports, and traffic right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Stay with
0: us. arriva time is the right time. More of Arriva Martin in real time when we come forward. forward. Back to business. There's no time like the present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580.
1: This is Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. And in this hour, I am joined by my expert contributors, Dr. Carlos Hill from the University of Oklahoma, and Dr. Rafe Sonenshine from Cal State LA. Look, guys, Republicans are no longer just lying about the world around them, about climate change or vaccines or even voter fraud. They are increasingly lying about themselves. And it's not just George Santos. Representative uh, Anna Paulina Luna, she's a Republican from Florida, has been telling conflicting stories about whether she's Jewish or not. And then there's a a representative out of Tennessee who, contrary to claims that he's made in his election campaign about being an economist, the truth is he is not. What is giving uh, power, Carlos, to these Republicans where they feel so emboldened that they can make up stuff on their resumes, run on this made up stuff, and then face hardly any consequences in terms of the leadership from the party?
4: Do we have to speak it into existence? <laughs> Do we have to say Yeah, it
1: okay? we got to call it out, Carlos.
4: <laughs> call it out. They have seen an example of that working. They've seen a U.S. president and the presidency, which we've been talking about, the most sacred office in the world be made a laughing stock by donald trump because every everything that was held sacred you know we talked a lot about the guardrails of democracy let's just say the guardrails of the presidency <laughs> donald trump violated them and he violated in the process every rule that we thought um, politicians had to observe in order to be a politician he he vanquished that we need a new set of rules because we don't have one that people can understand right now because he's destroyed the book that we had that's that's the real detonation is he has created all of these people who would have never been politicians in any in any multiverse they would have known He wouldn't have been a politician, but we have them because of him, because of his example, because of the template, because for four years he was president and he made those politics fashionable. So they're not going to go back neatly into the box because he made them legitimate. He made them legible. And the people that he empowered are not going to just go away because we don't like them because they're not Trump. They see real, they, they see a real way um, to convince voters to vote for them because of Trumpism. And so yeah. we're living in Trumpism and all the candidates that are coming or have their own version of Trumpism that American voters have shown they will vote for. So it's not, it's not crazy. We voted for Trump. We will vote for <laughs> other people like him.
1: Well, obviously, Republicans across the, the nation have done that in some of these midterms, which is why these uh, folks who lie on their resume are in office uh, to speak at this moment. So, Rafe, there are folks like Nikki Haley and now the governor of New Hampshire, Sununu, who says they want to reclaim the old Republican Party. They want to take the party back to where it was pre-Trump, they want to be those moderate Republicans that stand for something. Uh, The New Hampshire governor even says he's pro-choice. Do those Republicans have a chance at national office? And do you envision a world anytime soon where those kinds of Republicans are really back in office and the the death of Trump and Trumpism, as Carlos has described it? No. No. So
2: so the reason for that is that the Republican party and the democratic party are not the same parties. The Democrats are still a policy party and they punish you when you say things that are demonstrably false. Cause then some other Democrat will run in and run for the seat and take it over and ambition kind of, there's a party, there's an organization. There is no Republican party organization that is not basically Donald Trump. Notice that none of the candidates running will mention Donald Trump when they run for republican nomination for president which tells me that as long as donald trump is around he'll be the republican nominee you can't defeat somebody whose name you will not mention in opposition the other thing is it's a party in which performance and attitude is more important than policy and the great thing about lying is when you lie with attitude That's a much different lie than a lie where you look guilty and you look like, you know, you know, you're getting away with something and you stole the cookies and you're saying, no, the dog ate the cookies. This is bold. This is this is performative lying where the lie is more appealing than the truth. So you tell it. But here's one place I would disagree with everybody. The voters have not shown Mm -hmm. That in a general election, they will vote for these candidates if they know about these lies. And that is going to be the downfall of this performative politics. It may take five election cycles, but every time these folks win a Republican primary, they tend to lose the general election. And that's the problem the Republicans haven't solved. They can't not nominate them, and they also have trouble electing them. And if Trump is the nominee, and I think it's going to be Biden against Trump in the next election, no matter what other fresh faces are around, I think Biden's <laughs> going to womp them again. And I think that's actually going to be the real guardrail and fail-safe of the system. It's going to be just outvoting people. You can't expect them to get punished within the party because there is no punishment inside the party. There's only rewards
1: right well from your lips to god's ears uh that biden beats trump oh, oh wait ears. i just made a
2: prediction i just <laughs> i'm not just making predictions a very big prediction. it's very likely in a blah 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 that it's not a prediction blah blah blah
1: no, it's a prediction it's what we want to hear uh you know we got to call it out we got to claim it right we got to name it and claim it. but carlos DeSantis, he kind of defied what Ra- Rafe said because not only did he win the Republican primary, he went on in Florida to win the general election by some 15 percentage points. So he's going around the country, headed to he's been to New York today, he's going to Chicago and he's going into those districts where Trump did win even in these democratic states saying, "Look, unlike some of these other guys that got, you know, a beat down in the general, I made it through the primary. I made it through the general. I'm your guy. So, does DeSantis have a little different argument that might be appealing, or uh, that could get him uh, over the finish line and make uh, Rafe's uh, prediction uh, like the Hillary Clinton prediction?
3: <laughs> well, well, <laughs> we all
1: went to bed crying that night. So, <laughs> I'm
4: gonna I'm gonna try to be brief because I want to. respond to this, but I think that Trump as a political figure is singular. The things that he does that defies logic and he's able to survive are not things that other Republican politicians can do, especially Ron DeSantis. And so I think for him, he has taken probably a leap too far with his cancellation or attempted to cancel a cancel ap courses ap african-american mm-hmm. courses i think they're going to continue over time they will come back in some way and what he's done will look like an overreach because even donald trump i don't think would have been interested enough in the ap courses <laughs> to do that well he wouldn't
1: even know what come
4: on he, he know. wouldn't have all right <laughs>
1: Let's <laughs> be honest. The guy but I'm has, just has never stepped foot in an AP course. Yeah, so but I'm good.
4: just saying, like the the you know because of Trumpism and CRT anti CRT, it was a it was a it was something that he was always going to do, but never had the political capital, the the boldness, the just irreverence even to do it and to own it. And to just live with it and go on to another crisis. Um, This is going to define him because he's not Trump. Trump was able to create crisis every week. And we forget about Every
3: tweet. Every 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 tweet tweet was a
1: crisis. Uh, Hold that thought for me, Carlos, because I do want to get Rafe to uh, respond on the other side. Uh, When we come forward, we're going to continue this conversation about DeSantis. Is he more toxic than Trump? We're going to play a little President's Day trivia with these superstar political uh, experts I have on. And in hour two, don't forget, we're going to be talking about black women and our hair. And why is America so obsessed with black women and our hair? Uh, Stay with us right here on KBLA Talk 1580.
0: She's the real deal in real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. The way we spend our time defines who we are. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580.
1: It's President's Day weekend, and we are talking about presidents past, present, and potentially those <laughs> who want to be president in the future. Okay, Rape, uh, what are you thinking about? Desantis is he? I know you don't think he's going to make it because you just said the prediction is Trump versus Biden, and uh, Biden wins. But DeSantis is on some kind of listening tour or he's traveling around the country trying to check the temperature. As uh, Carl said, he won't mention Donald Trump by name, but clearly he has ambitions of being the president. Do you think that the party sees him as a calmer uh, version of Trump, less dramatic, less, you know, a crisis by tweet every day and perhaps the kind of guy that could beat a Joe Biden?
2: Well, first, there is no party so there's no party to see him there's basically voters i'm also reminded of scott walker in 2016 mm. after winning his recall election everybody said well he's absolutely going to be the candidate he's going to wipe out any democrat he's going to be a huge success whoever talks about scott walker winning a red state by 15 percent, and florida is a red state right now is no different than texas It's no. but he is the flavor of the month everybody's excited about him I'm very traditional about this I see who has the greatest likelihood of being the nominee and it's Joe Biden and Donald Trump because Donald Trump is the only one with a hardcore loyal base and even I think that he has not yet engaged with the other candidates Greg Abbott's going to be after him the governor of Texas he wants the nomination if even if Trump's out of the way he's going to have to get past a bunch of people and if you notice he does just like Carlos says he's not funny I mean he doesn't have Trump's Kind of
1: well, some people say he's got of, this kind of, you know, alpha man mystique about him. You're saying no, Rafe.
2: <laughs> alpha. Oh, well, okay. I'm not too sure who counts as an alpha man, but I mean, people who are around him don't like him very much. I mean, he doesn't have much appeal, kind of curb appeal in politics. Doesn't mean you can't become president. I just don't think he's gonna take the country by storm. And I think he's going to have trouble in those urban and suburban areas where the majority of the voters live and i'm not sure they're going to like his positions especially what's going on in the schools there but right now he's riding high i I, you know have fun He, he should go well he's It's performative to go to these democratic cities because then you get Democrats mad and then that gets on TV and he says, I went and poked them in the eye. Meanwhile, you've got democratic governors in California and Illinois doing the same thing from the other direction. So it reminds me of the tag team wrestling matches I used to see on channel five in New Jersey when I was a kid, Newsom and Pritzker against Abbott and DeSantis uh, Mm -hmm. to decide the future of the country, blue state, Models versus red state models. That that argument has yet to be won by Desantis. He has to win that argument that we want to live like Florida is right now.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, Carlos, because uh, <clears throat> Desantis is planning to go to Illinois. He can only he's got to speak to the police union members. There is a Republican in the mayoral race for Chicago's <clears throat> mayor, which is coming up. Uh, Valor, I think his name is. And he's already had to denounce him. He's had to try to separate himself from him because you're not going to be the mayor of Chicago if you are anti-Black, if you're anti-LGBTQ, if you're anti-teaching Black history in schools. So I don't know if DeSantis show and his culture wars play outside of these ruby, ruby red, uh, you know, districts. And as Rafe said, Florida is, is a red state. So yeah. I, I think- DeSantis, and it's interesting you bring up Scott Walker, uh, Rafe. We talked about him about a week ago on the show, and somebody wrote on our YouTube page, who's Scott Walker? So to your point, (laughs) nobody (laughs) remembers Scott Walker, who was the flavor of the month. And we can talk about Paul Ryan. Carlos, remember when he was the flavor of the month, the young Republican who was going to be president and. Who's Paul Ryan? Somebody's probably asking right now. So, Carlos, uh, what are you thinking? All these guys are just flavors of the month and we won't even remember them. And and six months from now, nine months from now.
4: I mean, DeSantis is governor and he's going to be here. He has he has organization, even though there's no party. And I probably I agree with rape. There's he has organization. Um, He has name recognition. He's governor of Florida. Um, He can give Trump a go, but he won't give Trump a go because I don't think there's any Republican politician in America or in internationally <laughs> <laughs> who can withstand Trump's bullying. DeSantis or anybody who runs for the nomination is going to get bullied by Trump. Yeah. And I don't think anyone can withstand his constant Twitter, everything, and and and, and just the ways he creates
3: waves.
1: Yeah, uh, hold if, that thought, uh, Carlos. We have a call running. I want to take her call real quickly. Fahima, you're on the line.
3: Yes, thank you so much for taking my call. And I wanted to share. We're playing Trump uh, very short. This man was the one who started the anti-CRT campaign at the tail end of his presidency. He. Uh, did this in response to the 1619 project. He did, he ended all diversity training. and Actually, uh, all diversity training in all government agencies. And actually, it was the military it was only JAGS were the only ones that were teaching CRT because it is a legal course. And this man was the one who started the anti CRT again in response to the 1619 project. And he started the 1776. Uh, campaign and put some Negro in charge of it. So we don't want to, this, this is how he got reelected because we sold him short and said, Oh, he'll never be elected. He started this whole CRT campaign and we don't want to sell this man short because he's an evil genius. Yeah, great point for him. And thanks for calling. I don't think
1: though it's accurate that he started the anti CRT movement. obviously he, he you know, threw gasoline on a fire but clearly, your point is well taken. We do not want to uh, count Trump out. We don't want to sleep on Trump and we've got to be ready at the wheel. We've got to have all engines firing in the same direction. we got to have all Democrats rowing uh, in the same direction, in the same boat, hopefully, uh, if we're going to defeat Donald Trump. i got to get to these quick trivia questions before I let these political geniuses go. All right, uh, Carlos, you said you haven't studied this, but I'm going to throw you a softball. Which of the first twelve presidents was the first to not own slaves?
4: Ooh, it was George
1: And Rafe, if you know, help your friend out.
3: <laughs> John Adams.
1: <laughs> okay, look at you, look at you, Doctor Carlos. <laughs> All right, look at you. Okay, now, Rafe, this is for you. This is a, another softball. Who is the oldest living president?
2: Wait a minute who who, li- who who was no, who the is,
1: oldest no who is today the oldest living president
2: oh you mean ex president and right current now. presidents right well, now yeah amongst carter presidents the- well jimmy carter right
1: Okay, we so see you say that so casually. There's some people out there. I was, go, I was about to go.
2: I was about to go earlier.
1: They may think Bill Clinton is older. All <laughs> well, right, he's, he's 98. So <laughs> he's 98. This is for you, Carlos. Which president banned alcohol from the White House at the behest of his first lady?
4: White House Calvin Didn't like Coolidge. to drink Calvin Coolidge and prohibition.
1: <laughs> uh good guess, Rape, You got a guess for him? <laughs>
2: Woodrow Wilson.
1: No, uh, this is a tough one. This is Rutherford B. Hayes. Oh, the guys
2: with the beards, the whole group of the presidents with okay, the beards. Last okay, last question right. <laughs>
1: before I let you go, and whoever knows, just let me, you know, jump in. Which president served two non-consecutive terms? You both should know this. Carlos, I'll give you the first uh, FDR, shot. FDR.
4: I'll give you FDR. No. Grover, Cleveland. Grover Cleveland. Right, I'm sorry. Non-consecutive. going right. the consecutive. win
1: for Ray. For oh, right,
4: Cleveland. right. I need to listen better.
1: All right, guys. You did phenomenally well. Dr. Carlos Hill, University of Oklahoma. Dr. Ray Sun and Shine, Cal State LA. Thank you so much for joining me in this hour. Thanks for playing President's Weekend Trivia. Uh, y'all didn't do as well as you want your students to do on your exams, but y'all did okay.
4: Ariva I'm a student. I'm a student, too.
1: <laughs> all right. We all got a little uh, history to study on our ex-presidents. But again, thanks so much for your brilliance. And always good to see you both in my next hour. It is all in with black women, black hair. What's going on? Why are folks still policing black women in their hair? I'm going to be joined by Dr. niambi Carter and Christian Nunez from the NOW organization. And in that second hour, I'm taking your calls. You can give us a call at 1-800-920-1580. You can also post a comment on our YouTube page and we will uh, read your comment. But give us a call, 1-800-920-1580. We are tracking trending news, giving you expert analysis. And after some sports news and traffic, it's all about black women. It's about our hair. And it's about Michelle Obama's statement about why she thought the country wasn't ready for her to wear her hair in a natural hairstyle. Right here on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm your host Ariba Martin and this is Ariba Martin in real time. KBLA
5: 1580
0: Santa Monica.
3: And even payment options. Progressive Commercial makes it easy to get what you need. Quote today in as little as six minutes at ProgressiveCommercial.com This
0: This is the KBLA Sports Minute with Ray Richardson. Richardson.
4: Clippers veterans Paul George and Marcus Morris had several conversations with management to convince the team to sign Russell Westbrook The conversations paid off Westbrook is signing with the Clippers after reaching a buyout with the Utah Jazz The 34-year-old Westbrook was traded by the Lakers to Utah on February 8th The nine-time All-Star did not report to the jazz circle this date on your calendar wednesday april 5th that's the night the clippers play the lakers at crypto.com get your tickets early for that one no debates no speculation just the info you need that's your kbla sports minute i'm ray richardson this sports report was brought to you by original taco Pete. Aaron at Original Taco Pete's. Come in today for our tasty seasoned black taco. We're at 3272 West Slauson off Crenshaw or call 323-348-4441.
3: What we're going to do right
5: here is go, back, go back, back.
0: KBLA Talk 1580 is turning up the frequency in Black History Month. Be on the lookout for some familiar faces as the Metro K line is currently wrapped in KBLA Talk 1580. Make sure you visit the KBLA Talk 1580 online store now open for business with all kinds of fresh merch. Don't miss a single episode of The Motivator, Les Brown's month long radio residency. You've got to be hungry. Weekdays at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. exclusively on KBLA Talk 1580. And afternoons just got real. Real people, real talk, real issues, real solutions. Be sure to check out Ariva Martin in real time on your way home, weekday afternoons from 4 to 6. Turning up the frequency all Black History Month long. We're unapologetically progressive. KBLA Talk 1580, and we don't black down.
1: This is Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. And in this second hour, we are tracking today's trending news and after some news, we're going to be talking to my guests in this hour about Black women, our hair, and why America is so obsessed with our hair. But first, what's happening in the news? Biden's visit to the Ukraine previews increasingly direct contests with Vladimir Putin. We know that the uh, Russia's invasion of the Ukraine has caused a hiccup for the U.S. Uh, some Republicans suggesting that we should withdraw the aid while Biden is doubling down on support for the Ukrainians. Also in today's news, the prosecutor in the Alec Baldwin um, negligent homicide case has dropped one of the charges that basically will make it impossible for Alec Baldwin to serve any real jail time. Folks are also upset about the family, the Bruce's family, the descendants of Charles and Willa Bruce, uh, their recovery of Those four parcels of land in Manhattan Beach was held as a reparations model. Then the family actually sold the land. Some folks saying that uh, they were disappointed in the family. Another deadly quake has rocked the already ravaged area of Turkey. We have been praying for and lifting up those families who have been devastated by that earthquake. We are also checking or tracking uh, what's going on with respect to those families in Palestine. Ohio, those families who've been exposed to contaminated water. And even though the Biden administration says it is offering additional resources for the families, uh, folks have already reached out to Erin Brockovich and some folks have already filed a class action lawsuit against the rail company. And in political news, Chris Nunu is eyeing the GOP uh, presidential nomination. He says he's the quote unquote normal Republican and he thinks he can take on Donald Trump. And we've been tracking this uh, Mississippi Capitol and the decision by Republican lawmakers to set up a new court system, a system that uh, would basically serve will be run by individuals appointed to the court by lawmakers, predominantly white lawmakers, uh, that will be responsible for Jackson, Mississippi, which is a predominantly black town. We'll see what happens with that. And we're also sending up prayers to Jimmy Carter. We know the 98-year-old former president has decided to forego any additional uh, medical intervention. He wants to rest peacefully at home. He's actually getting hospice care uh, with his family. He has suffered uh, from cancer that actually spread to various parts of his body. Uh, we'll continue to keep the former president in our thoughts and prayers. And that's the trending news in this hour. We'll continue to keep you updated as uh, new news uh, continues to break throughout this hour. But I want to talk a little about the topic of Black women in our hair. For many Black women, our hair can be our crowning glory, an expression of our pride, our pride in our appearance, but it can also, be something more, something deeper, something rooted in culture, uh, something uh, that is a part of our complicated history in this country—a uh, history that involves uh, slavery. We talked a lot about that in the first hour. So, if you ask a black woman about her hair, be prepared to hear about a lot more than just dreadlocks, perms, and wigs and weaves. And Michelle Obama got into the fray uh, talking about black woman hair recently when she stated that she Uh, straighten her hair during her eight years in the White House as first lady. And she says she did that because America wasn't ready for her natural hair at the time. And if you have seen our beautiful former first lady, you know, she is wearing braids. She's wearing natural hairstyles. She's wearing uh, leather jackets, bomber jackets, uh, blue jeans, leggings. She is just being unapologetically a black woman, the black woman that she obviously wanted to be while she was in the White House, but she thought America wasn't ready. So we're going to be talking about what does it mean when a black woman has to change her hairstyle in order to be accepted in the workplace, whether it's the White House or you work at Walmart. Why is America so obsessed with black women and our hair when we come forward? The president of the National Association or National Organization of Women now, Christian Nunes, joins me, and also Dr. Niambi Carter, a professor at the University of Maryland, is back. They're going to help us break down this obsession with Black women here. And in this hour, we're taking your calls. Give us a call. I want to hear from you. 800 920 1580. Again, that's 1 800 920 1580. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580.
0: He's the real deal. In real time, you're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. Ooh, there's no time like the present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk
3: 1580.
1: Thank you for joining me. I am back, Ariva Martin in real time. I'm your host, Ariva Martin. This is your one place and your one stop destination for today's trending news, expert analysis, and my unfiltered opinion. And you can check us out 9 p.m. every day this week. There will be a rebroadcast of this show at 9 p.m. PST. And if you haven't already done so, download the KBLA app. You can watch and listen to Ariva Martin in real time and all of the shows on KBLA around the globe by downloading our app. And Ariva Martin in real time is also a podcast. So everywhere where you find podcasts, you can also listen Uh, in your drive time to the podcast, as well as tuning us in every day from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. We are talking about Black women and our hair, and I'm joined by Dr. Niambi Carter. She's a university professor at the University of Maryland, and Christian Nunes, she is the president of the National Organization for Women, otherwise known as NOW. Welcome, Dr. Carter. Thank you, Aretha. Thank you for having me again. Always a pleasure to see you, my friend. And uh, thank you, Christian, for joining me in this hour as well.
6: Yes, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Marisa.
1: Great ladies. Uh, you know, what? I'm so disgusted. First of all, I'm disgusted about <laughs> Michelle Obama having to say she couldn't wear her hair natural because America wasn't ready. But then as I'm doing my regular check through trending stories, there is an article in your paper, uh, Dr. Carter, your neck of the woods, the DMV, the Washington Post, has an article that has the top 10 Democratic presidential candidates for 2024. Now, we know when Biden announces that he's running for president, nobody on this list will be a candidate because nobody's (laughs) going to challenge an incumbent Democrat. But what's just got me upset about this list is they list 10 people who could run for president as Democrats in 2024. And you know who's not on this list? (laughs)
5: <laughs> Stacey Abrams.
3: No, I didn't see it.
1: <laughs> well, uh, uh, yeah, well, Stacey Abrams is not on the list. I mean, Kamala Harris makes the list, she makes the list though as number three. She's the only African American woman on it, and she is on this list behind Pete Buttigieg. Mm-hmm. And how is it that a sitting vice president is on the list behind a Secretary of Transportation. And I think this plays into this conversation mm-hmm. about Black women and how we are policed and devalued in this country. Does does that list surprise you at all, Dr. Carter? It the doesn't.
5: Of the list. It doesn't. I mean, like, for most people, we would say naturally, the sitting vice president is the natural choice, right? to be the top pick behind the the person who's at the top of the ticket. But remember, Kamala Harris also had a former partner be able to publish two op-eds about them, you know, about her and their prior relationship and what position he thought she should have. I don't know that we would ever see something like that done to a man. Then people picked apart her personal life, the fact that she was married. Uh, Now to Doug Emhoff, a a white Jewish man, but her previous relationships with Willie Brown and Montel Williams. I mean, I don't know that we've ever seen someone dissected um, the way that we've seen a Kamala Harris. and so I'm not surprised because of Pete Buttigieg. I mean, he was, what, a mayor of a moderately sized city in the Midwest and decided uh, to go to the president. let's call it what it is, a small
1: president. city. Well, <laughs>
5: right. I'm just saying, you know, this is a small place. But, you know, he goes from South Bend mayor to now people talking about him as a real political contender. How does that happen? Because we see something about white men as authoritative as serious as being well-versed on issues, right? I'm sure most people say, well, what is Kamala Harris competent at? They will ignore the fact that this woman is an attorney, has been an AG, has been a Senator, and is now a vice president and talk about, well, she probably knows lots of stuff about childcare or welfare or all these other sort of women's types of issues that people think that only concern um, people identified as women. So I'm not surprised by this list, uh, quite frankly, it's unfortunate.
1: Yeah, and we keep seeing these lists, and they keep, you know, being produced. I think Christian to plant the seed that she's not a viable candidate. And you're right, Niamh, uh, Doctor Carter. They come up with all these reasons why she shouldn't be, and they they talk about she hasn't distinguished herself as vice president. But they don't make the same kind of critique against many of the men that are on this list and many of the men that have served as as vice presidents in our past. Uh, what do you make of this list, Christian? That has Our sitting VP, and as uh, Dr. Carter, you know, highlighted, former U.S. citizen, former attorney general for the state of California, which is no easy feat for anybody, black, white, or green, and compared to a small town mayor who now is a secretary in the administration where she's second in command. (laughs) There's <laughs> something wrong with that math. What are you thinking about this list, Christian?
6: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with Dr. Carter. I mean, when you really think about it, the Black woman is probably the most degraded, most disrespected, undervalued you know, woman, a person, really, uh, that in the United States of America, and we see this like every day. We see it how we are not only like sexualized, we are um, we are seen as overly aggressive, we are seen as less than whole. We are seen as so many things that gives them opportunity to cont- continually like to break us in more parts and more parts and and then give reasons and justifications why we are not good enough for something. At the same time, use us to run their campaigns, use us to run their households, use us to you know clothe their children, use us to be their nannies, to, you know, use us to run their companies. But when it but they mean but always reminding us that well, but you still are just never fully good enough, um, and it's just this pattern that we constantly see. Um, over and over and over again. It's one thing to be a woman and go through it, but be to be black woman, you have the extra intersection of race added to it, which makes it so extremely um, more difficult than anything. And I think that's what we're seeing. And, and I totally agree with Dr. Carter when she says this. I mean, I'm not surprised by this list at all. It's a constant thing they've been blowing at black women in power for a very long time.
1: Yeah, and we keep seeing lists like these and, and and that kind of a good segue for us to talk about women's appearances because we also know Kamala Harris has been critiqued for her appearance. Uh and we know Michelle Obama was probably the most critiqued woman ever. She wasn't in elected office, but she was held such a high profile position as the first African American first lady and we can all think back to Michelle's transformation coming out of Chicago as uh, having been a lawyer and a professor and a healthcare executive herself and then going into this fishbowl called the White House and for her now to make this revelation in her recent book Dr. Carter that the America America wasn't ready for her natural hair do you think if she was in the White House today she would still have that sentiment? Unfortunately, probably so. I mean,
5: we've seen Michelle Obama wear a variety of hairstyles in her time out of office. But I think, look at the way they talked about her arms. I mean, they they talked about her looking like an animal. They talked about her face shape, her eyebrows. I mean, this woman was being picked apart and this was probably the one thing that she could control. And unfortunately, for large swaths of the communities that we live in, I'm sure Christian experiences this, we've all experienced this. When your hair is natural, When you decide that you were going to say, you know, bump it, I'm just going to be me and wear my hair in whatever way suits me, whether it is straight or pink or whatever makes us happy braids or twists. That somebody is going to be made uncomfortable by the choices you make as a black woman, because unfortunately, we've been denied our own bodily autonomy. I mean, rarely are we trying to make a statement with who we are. I mean, yes, it's about being prideful, but it's also about ease and what's healthy for us and what makes our natural coils their best. Right. And makes them spring back. And it's not always, you know, straightening and product and all the things that people we literally have to sort of beat our hair into submission. I don't know that people appreciate that. So when black women say, I'm not doing this, I'm giving my hair a break. I'm going to wear protective style. People read it as you're trying to make a statement. Only statement I'm making is I'm trying to be in the world and be happy with myself and enjoy my hair and the variety of wears I can wear. I'm not trying to always say something to other right. people. It's always That's a political
1: statement. Right. It's so interesting when you think, as I'm listening to you, Dr. Carter, I'm sitting here thinking. How can hair create so much controversy? Like we don't have these conversations about the hair of any other ethnic group, any other demographic Mm -hmm. other than black women. Christian, you are the president of this national organization that's been fighting for the rights of women for decades, not -hmm. just black women, but all women. Have you seen any changes? I I know we have crown acts that have been enacted throughout uh, some states throughout the country. That make it illegal for an employer to discriminate against you because you wear natural hair into the workplace. But have you seen attitudes at all shift on this issue, Christian, particularly, you know, with the work that you do as president of now?
3: I think,
6: you know, the attitudes have shifted with more women than anything, but I think we talk about corporations and places of employment, the attitudes are still the same. Even our own Congress didn't pass the federal legislation for the Crown Act this past year, you know? I mean, think about what that message sends, you know, that we are not even willing to stand up behind women of color, especially particularly Black women, and say that we understand you're facing this extra discrimination and racism uh, and harassment due to your natural hair, and we understand what it is and we support it, but we won't support it to make sure you don't face this at work by passing federal legislation that bans hair discrimination or any type of discrimination on your, your your natural beauty and your natural voice so we don't even see our own congress standing up you know so i think if we really look at this we have to dig deep and say really how much has it changed because there are women in congress that do wear their natural hair you know and there are women who don't who choose not to and that's everyone's preference but we still have so much work to do um before we're able to truly uh, fully accept women, allow them to just like, like live live freely, you know, have full body autonomy and be able to choose what they want. But right now we don't see that at all. Women are still constantly having to choose.
1: Yeah. And Dr. Cardi, you work in, you know, academic institution, you've worked in several, have you seen any shifts? Have you seen any changes Now, obviously, as Christian has said, and we all know more and more women, Black women, are standing up saying, as you said, bump it, I'm going to wear my hair however I choose. But do you see your colleagues in a major university like the University of Maryland? I know you were at Howard University and and perhaps another one. What are they doing? Are they more receptive or do you still get the sense that even though Black women are saying, I'm going to do it, their colleagues are still uncomfortable when they make those choices to wear their hair, either in dreads or braids or
5: some other natural style? You know, I think it is changing, but I think it's not changing because the institution is changing. I think it's changing because women are saying, Black women are saying, this is what makes sense for my life. And your comfort is secondary to my happiness and my efficiency, (laughs) you know, trying to work out and get your hair back in some order after you've sweated and done all this, it's like, I'm just going to wear my hair in braids. And either you get with it or you get over it. That's hard to do. It took me a long time to just say, you know what, I'm going to wear my hair as it is. And I messed around with the color and did all kinds of things. But I recognize those things happen later in my career rather than earlier in my career when I had less uh, security, because I certainly wanted to be taken seriously. And I know that there are still going to be people who will look at me and say, hmm, I don't know why she would wear her hair in this particular fashion, but I also recognize those people will never be pleased by anything I do. So I might as well be free, but everybody is on their own journey. But I do think that it is much more common to see in university settings. And that's both in my experiences at historically white institutions and at historically black colleges, because many of those places, we're all, you know, socialize in the same society so many of us carry the same sort of ideas about natural hair you heard older black women chide other younger black women for not wearing their hair in a manner that they think is most attractive so Mm -hmm. you know we all have a lot of work to do but i do think with some of my colleagues i think we're all saying we're tired and it's exhausting to do the work of of trying to you know conform to these standards that really have no basis in the realities of our lived experiences as Black women, and our hair is all different, and it does all kinds of beautiful, wonderful things. And I think people are saying, "I want to celebrate that." The institution will just have to kind of pull it together, but there is a recognition that that might come with a penalty.
1: Yes, and I was going to ask you about that because you made a good point about the the point that you are in your career. Mm -hmm. being uh, a more seasoned professional uh, academic than someone just starting out. So Christian, do you see younger women feeling this autonomy, feeling this freedom, feeling as if they can make those choices without paying a penalty, a penalty that could be career ending in some instances?
6: Well, I think with the Gen Z population, we're seeing a lot more feelings of autonomy than we probably see in my generation Generation X, where there is still like this struggle about what to do because of how you've been tra- trained and taught about what changing you be able to fit in. Um, what I will say, though, is there are... There are serious costs and harmful effects to forcing women to conform and assimilate with societal beauty standards. And Dove Beauty came up with the whole research project about this, not just about hair discrimination, but color discrimination in workplaces and things like that. And so when we're talking about this, I think we have to talk about, like, really how that plays out, too, into the mental wellness of Black women and the emotional wellness of Black women and and the actual physical implications of Black women for having to straighten their hair. We know right now there's a, you know, research study out about people who have been dying from cancer. They said some cancer research Um, due to possible hair straightening. And I don't know the full of something possible because I don't know the full behind that. Mm -hmm. But we do know that there's lots of research going on out there. And right now, the generations are a little bit more resistant and in this new place of being their own people. So they seem a little bit more comfortable. But there are still a lot of people who are still struggling. And I think also depends on, you know, geographically to where you live. Um, as who might feel a bit more when you're it's more people around you who are doing it and more comfortable if you're living on an East Coast where there's more diversity and you see more hair, than maybe if you're living in a small town where you may be one of five, you know, um, and maybe feel like a little bit more pressure.
1: But Christian, you lead a national women's organization again that fights on mm-hmm. so many different fronts for women of all nationalities, ethnicities, ages. Are you seeing white women in now? Embrace this issue that black women have around their hair and being ambassadors, supporters, champions, allies whatever word you want to use. You know, are, are we on an island fighting this battle, or do you see lots of support from white women?
6: I, I do see support. I know that we have been, as an organization, even our chapters in different states have been supporting the crown acts within the state level as well. And so, there is support, but I think it goes more than. It's just being um, about white women supporting it. I think about true anti-racist allies supporting uh, this part about the, the acceptance of um, of natural hair for Black women and understanding what that means to really let a person live in their authenticity and their truthfulness And so, but I do see that support. There are a lot of anti-racist allies who are standing in this moment in solidarity with Black women and saying that we support you, we will stand behind you, and we will not try to tell you how you need to do this. And that is what I am seeing. So there is support, definitely, but we still need more support, especially when we get to places of business and corporations and organizations um, with their laws and their policies and their HR policies
1: what about men, uh, Dr. Carter? Are you seeing black men, uh, many whom buy into these Eurocentric beauty standards and try to impose them on black women who say, I I have a friend. Oh my God. I'm thinking about this friend. She told me she's dating a guy. He told her he didn't like weaves. He didn't like wigs and he didn't like braids. And she's like, dude, you don't like me. (laughs) (laughs) But he had like these very specific you know criteria for how she should wear her hair, and he thought that that was okay for him to impose on her his standards of what a black woman should do with her hair. Give that some thought when we come forward after news traffic and sports. I want to talk about the role that men play in making women uncomfortable about their hair. Stay with us. KBLA Talk fifteen eighty.
0: Arriba time is the right time. More Arriva Martin in real time when we come forward. 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 You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 80
1: I'm back and I'm talking with Dr. Neamby Carter from the University of Maryland and Christian, Christian Nunez from the National Organization of Women. And we're talking about black women and our hair and why America is so obsessed with black women's hair. Christian, you made reference to that Dove study. So Dove and LinkedIn got together and they actually did a study and their study found that black women's hair was 2.5 times more likely to be perceived as unprofessional in the workplace. Uh, Their data also revealed that 66% of black women often change their hair for a job interview with many opting for a straight hairstyle over their natural coils. Uh, 54% of participants surveyed felt they had to wear their hair straight in order to be seen as professional or successful. Other women said they experienced microaggressions from coworkers or higher ups when wearing their natural hair. Uh, And then 20% of black women between the ages of 25 and 34 had actually been sent home from work because of their hair. I guess this percentage that said, this must be the Michelle Obama percent saying 54% of these women said they had to wear their hair straight to be seen as professional or successful. So, Christian, I think Michelle must have been saying, look, I'm the first lady. Uh, I've got to represent an image, not just for me personally, but for my family, my husband. And if I don't have straight hair, people perhaps won't perceive her. She was her thinking, I'm imagining, perceive her as professional and the presidency altogether as successful. Those are still startling numbers to me in 2023.
6: I you know, we would think so, but I think that we have to be really honest about how much anti-blackness really exists in the United States of America. And really, truly, what this is showing us is that anti-blackness is very strong. Um, a lot of times we don't want to call it that, but that is what it is when everything related to blackness we see is um unattractive, unprofessional, um. Aggressive, you know, all the words that have derogatory connotations to it—that's we typically associate with anything that resents natural um, aesthetics of black beauty or blackness. And so, and I think with Michelle Obama, I mean, if you really think about it, already coming in as the first black president, you know, they already mm-hmm. knew what they were up against. And I, it might have just an internal conversation she had with herself. Who knows? about what she thought might make make it less as as difficult, you know, than they already battled, they were already going to experience. Um, but I'm glad that she's coming forth and talking about it and and bringing realness and uh, sharing that narrative for people to understand that she even experienced that herself as one of the most powerful women in this world.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, Absolutely. And Dr. Card, I want to go back to that comment about the role Black men play in this. And my friend, I've been really just thinking about how... I, I, traumatized is probably too uh, serious or intense of a word, but she was clearly taken aback. She was annoyed. She was irritated. But how common do you think that is that black men are the ones saying to black women, not just employers, not just white employers or black employers, but people you're in a relationship with trying to police your hair?
5: Well, look, I think that's not unusual for romantic partners to have strong opinions about our appearance, particularly if they met you one way, they might want you to stay that way. And those preferences can be for long hair, short hair, uncolored hair, whatever. But I think what your friend was experiencing when people tell them no wigs, no weaves, no braids, are not thinking about why Black women are making those choices, but also are not free from the many ways that men feel like they have a right to tell women about how they should present themselves. Because I do think that there is a, you know, a subsection right of Black men who think that a woman who colors her hair or a woman who would choose a weave or wear a wig is trying to be Eurocentric right, in her appearance. Mm-hmm. And it could just be, I like to be versatile. I like to have fun. I wear a wig because I might be going from one function to the next. I can take my hair off put on something new and get a whole new look and not have to do all the heat damage and other things to my hair. Then there are also some other, you know, subset of black men who do have a preference for smoother textured hair. That's been shown in the good hair study that was just done a few years ago, right? Where there was a slight preference among um, a nationally representative sample of black men for smooth hair, but that preference also shows itself with some uh, subset of black women. So I think All of us are being socialized into thinking that certain kinds of presentations are better than others for varying political reasons. Right. I want to show how black I am. I want a woman who wears her hair in the natural form or I want to uh, conform to maybe Eurocentric beauty standards. I think the more appropriate thing is, why do you care at all? Right. Let this person be and mind your business, because she might not be telling you how to cut your hair or how she wants you to present yourself. And also, let's remember, black men, too, have to think that they're also facing hair discrimination. I mean, remember that whole conversation about Colin Kaepernick when he was wearing his afro and whether that was professional, whether his braids were professional, whether Allen Iverson was professional because of the Mm -hmm. way he chose to wear his hair. So black men aren't immune from that either. I think we are all to Christian's point. Um, have been socialized in an anti-Black white supremacist space, and we need to sometimes gut check ourselves. We can all have preferences, but sometimes if we want to date someone or be with someone, the best thing we can do if we still want to date them is to just keep your mouth quiet. Just, yeah, it. just say, you know, <laughs> right.
1: honey, you look good when you feel good. So, whatever at makes heart. you feel good <laughs> makes you look good. Uh, i am taking your calls at 1 800 920 1580. Give me a call if you have a comment about black hair. You have a question. uh Christian, we know about, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, Chris Rock made that documentary, Good Hair. And it got some rave reviews, it was critiqued. A lot of people thought it was an oversimplification of the impact of white supremacy on black folks overall. What do you think, of anything, that documentary, if you remember it, had on this whole discussion about black women in our hair?
3: Well,
6: <laughs> I have mixed feelings about that documentary myself, um, particularly the title, Good Hair, uh, because in some ways, you know, I think that's part of the battle that we're we're going through right now is how we pers- what we perceive as good versus what we perceive as ugly or unattractive. Um, and I think that the overly focused also on hair extensions implied that lots of women, black women only wear hair extensions. And so I, I just, I was a little, mm-hmm. I was a little not, I was biased that movie. I just felt like he didn't really give a full understanding about like uh Dr. Carter's saying why some people choose to use that and what the reason is for that. There's there's a diversity in it. And I think a more conversation could have been having some real talks with women and talking about why they choose what they choose uh, versus just going around filming a different um, you know, uh hair shops in um the the temples where they cut hair and things like that. I don't like it gave the real truthful story, a narrative of the the hair journey of black women. Okay.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. I I hear a lot of people often refer to that documentary, Dr. Carter, kind of as the Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Particularly non-Black women uh, look to that as as their understanding of why Black women do certain things to their hair. Mm -hmm. Help us understand, you know, how we start to break down some of these (laughs) antiquated tropes that people have about Black women and their hair. Again, I, I'm just so perplexed about why it, it creates so much, uh, you know, such an uproar and why people are still obsessed with our hair. And you you made a good point about Black men, but I don't hear the same level. I mean, maybe if you are at the level of Colin Ka- Kaepernick or you're on a professional sports team, you, you may be expected to wear your hair a certain way, but I just don't think if if there was a study done on Black men and their hair, you would see the same results as these studies done by Dove and LinkedIn about how much policing still takes place in this society around Black women's hair.
5: For sure. I definitely don't think it's the same level. I didn't mean to imply that, but I will say there are places like Remember Hampton Business School talking about locks not being professional, for example, and that applied to black men and women. So there are places where black men may experience hair discrimination. But to your point, I think black women's hair has probably been the most policed and picked apart. Um, I mean, the Tion laws out of Louisiana in the 18th century, right, where black women, regardless of status, had to wear a scarf on their head to signify their status as lesser than is one of the first places where we see explicit laws made around Black women's hair presentation. And I mean, you know, we can say it's jealousy. We can say it's this, but hair, just like clothing, everything that Black women do when we present ourselves, how we have to think about how we dress and and all of those things is because we live in a society that tells us we are always lesser than. Our hair, in some ways, is the sort of most evident part of that. It's the thing that people can see. It's the thing that in some respects no matter what we do is going to react to the elements and every other thing that we're doing and so our hair in some ways makes us the most vulnerable because it's not anything that we can hide from other people it's there for people to touch critique and everything else so our hair is probably one of the few things of our not one of the few things one of the many parts of our body that black women never were able to really um that black women were able to control and that other people then use their sort of social and other kinds of power to make Black women, I guess, feel lesser than um, and, and, and less the geniuses that we are in sort of dealing with um, our hair and our hair care needs. I mean, Black women made empires off of hair care um, and it didn't always have to do with straightening, right? It was about how do you deal with lice and other kinds of things that might um, experience, people might experience because you couldn't get your access to water in the 19th century, in the same kinds of ways. So, I mean, I think the the goal of disciplining Black women's hair is to discipline Black women mm. into behaving, into being what we want them to be. Being
1: submissive. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of the Vogue cover with Rihanna walking mm-hmm. in front of uh, ASAP Rocky and carrying the baby and people like, oh, that's, that's the wrong image because she's in control and he's behind her and she's hard and he's soft. And God forbid a strong man let his woman walk in front of him. And God forbid a strong man holds his own baby You know, the world is ending and it's, yes, that discipline our hair and discipline our bodies. Great point, Dr. Carter. When we come forward, pop culture, social media, TikTok, what influence do these social media outlets have on the policing of Black women's hair? Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580.
3: She's the real
0: deal in real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. Present. Let's get back to more of Areva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk
3: 1580.
1: I'm speaking in this hour with Dr. Neambi Cardiff, from the University of Maryland and Christian Nunes, who is the president of the National Organization for Women, otherwise known as Now. I'm taking your calls also in this hour, the last 10 minutes of the show at 1-800-920-1580. Give us a call. We're talking about black women and I got really more interested in this topic after reading what Michelle Obama said while she was out promoting her new book, The Light We Carry. We know that uh, she was on a big national tour. And one of the things she said was, look, let me keep my hair straight and let's go get health care She said <laughs> they tripped out when Barack wore a tan suit, recalling the controversy when then-President Barack Obama when he sported the tan suit outfit, the great indignity, the scandal of the Obama administration she quipped, the code of ethics at a workplace as black women, we deal with it. The whole thing about, do you show up with your natural hair? So Michelle is saying, uh, Christian, we just deal with it. Uh, we, We know that as it's like the black tax, right? We don't call it that, but essentially that's what it is. And here is this woman, as you said, one of the most powerful women in the world, rather than taking that on, she too just dealt with it. She said, let's just go and stay focused on the issue at hand, which was getting healthcare passed. Do you envision a world where black women don't have to just deal with it, where we do confront places, where we do proudly go into spaces where they don't expect us to have braids? I mean, can you imagine Black women, all of you know. Tomorrow, all of us waking up saying every place where we shouldn't wear braids, we're wearing braids. I don't think the world would end.
6: <laughs> well, that's I think what we hope for, right? That would be the true liberation for us, where black women are finally at a place where we could just be ourselves, and we could no longer have to worry about trying to fit into someone else's box. Um, there is a long way for our country to go before we get there. (laughs) You know, um, we could do it, uh, but the consequences, I think, could be uh, very difficult for a lot of people. But I I just encourage everyone, um, as we've been talking about this, is to find that place for yourself, because we all are on this different spectrum during like Dr. Carter mentioned, and I think we have to find where we're at and comfortable um, coming into that place. You know, I know I, when I first became um, vice president for now, I was wearing my hair or flat irons all the time um, you know, just coming in as, you know, vice president for a national organization. But then I was like, this is breaking my hair on. Let me ask
1: you this, Christian. Did you feel like in order to be accepted by this predominantly white national organization, you needed to show up looking the way they think a Um, black professional woman
6: looks? I would say part of it had some influence on my thought process, but I also moved from a state, a predominantly white state, where I feel like I had to do it before that. So it started before I came to D.C. And if anything, D.C. kind of gave me more courage to like be uh, fully invested into wearing my natural you know, my natural coils when I, when I don't have my twist in, you know, so if anything, I think being around more people who I saw wearing their hair natural state and, and gave me more confidence to feel like doing that. And so majority of the times, either if I don't have twist in, I wear my naturally curly Afro, you know, um, and that's what it is. And sometimes I will iron and sometimes I will wear a weave because it is really about convenience for me, right? But it, it was a journey for me as well. And I think seeing more and seeing more people in comfort, Wearing the hair and feeling liberated to do so helped me a lot in my journey.
1: Was there any reaction when you showed up looking or your hair styled differently than perhaps you showed up at that interview?
6: No, actually, everyone's been really supportive and accepting. They always told me my hair looks good, you know, <laughs> so I haven't had any negative feedback. Um, if anything, I think most of the feedback I've gotten negative has been more with, you know, um, media, if anything, uh, just really whether or not I fit that media expectation for a Marty already dark skin, you know, uh, dark complexion, and then having natural hair on top of that. I think those are some additional challenges that I maybe have faced um, as a Black woman and, you know, leading a national organization, because I, especially with now's history being majority white women for 57 years, um, it is, it's a big change for what they expect to be leading now. But now I think it's, it's evolved, you know, so we we're pushing on it and saying, hey, this is where we are at, so we have to accept it.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that now is evolving. I'm glad to hear that you are helping to break some of those barriers uh, and break some of those stereotypes. Uh, Dr. Carter, last word for you. Other than showing up unapologetically <laughs> who we are as we want to, to do, what else, can you, what, what else can we do as women, as black women to help our men, the men in our lives, to help the other women in our lives Uh, And those women that perhaps, you know, aren't a part of the black community. What else can we do to help educate folks about our hair and just really get the word out to leave our hair
5: alone. Well, that's really, look, we just want to be left alone. We live in a world with the Googles and the YouTubes now, and there are so many natural hair communities. I don't even want to put it on like the everyday Black woman in your life to educate you. There, she has enough to do. There are so many resources out there now that if you want to be educated about Black women's hair care, you can be. There are tutorials, there are blogs, there are everything. I mean, even looking at that great interview Ayana Presley did after she showed her bald head because she has alopecia Mm -hmm. and what that meant for little girls who saw her twist and were just so excited to see someone who had curls that looked like theirs. And then to even have to take on the burden of, of being bald and what that meant, but living in her truth. So I would just say for anybody, I mean, our hair is the source of so much pride and joy, but also a lot of sadness and heaviness for a lot of us. We have all had that press that didn't quite press and the cry, the tears and all this come from that. And just give black women a break, right? If you think you're going to say something rude, just don't, right? Just Just keep it to yourself.
1: Give us a break, a wig, a weave, braids, twists,
5: Exactly. pressing
1: curls, flat iron, Brazilian straighted, whatever we <laughs> do, just give us a break. Thank you, Dr. Carter. Thank, Thank you, you, Christian. Always Thank a pleasure so to see much. both of you, my friends. Uh, such an enlightening conversation, news, traffic and sports up next. KBLA Talk 1580.
0: KBLA 1580 Santa Monica.